Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Morning scripture reading is from the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. Feel free to turn there if you have a paper Bible or pull out the Bible on your phone or uh, whatever, whatever works for you this morning. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu son of Nimshi as king over Israel, and you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Melholah, as prophet in your place. The word of God for the people of God. Hey, good morning. Uh, let's hear it for Taylor. She's one of our new student pastors. So, 
you want to make sure everybody knew. And uh, we did a little baptism by fire, had her read scripture today because there's lots of Hebrew words in it. We wanted to see if she's been learning the right stuff in seminary, right? So she passed. Uh, so uh, my name's Brittany. I'm your pastor here. And uh, I'm so glad that you either showed up at 10.30 and had coffee and donuts, or you got the memo and got here at 11.15. Regardless, I'm glad you're here. Um, we are starting a brand new sermon series on mental health. And uh, it's a big series. And so I want to start with prayer. Holy and gracious God, for the gift of life in our lungs and in our hearts and in our minds, thank you. May your scriptures be open today to see things that we maybe haven't seen because we think they aren't there. May we see that mental health uh, struggle is not new but something that has been part of who we have been since the beginning of time. Open us to compassion for ourselves and for others. This day and every day, amen. So uh, the way that we do sermon series is one of the pastors on staff writes the series and they pick the scriptures and then, oh wait, I also wanna say another thing. Welcome Cody and Tatum back, who are now married. I just saw you there. Anybody else get married? I can call it out. No, okay. Um, so we sort of like, the scripture passages are chosen. And so I went to look at this and I read the scripture. And I was like, wait, what? I kind of forgot this story. <laughs> Anybody familiar with this story? Awesome, good. We're all on the same page. <laughs> Um, so uh, I'm gonna kind of catch you up because you might be thinking like, wait, who's Ahab? Who's Jezebel? Wait, why is, why is it good that the prophets are killed or was it not good or what, you know, like there's just lots of questions. So let's talk about it a little bit. Um, so uh, let's start with Elijah. He is a prophet. He is the prophet on behalf of Yahweh. His whole goal in life is to let everybody know that Yahweh is the one true God. In fact, his name Elijah actually means one true God. So he's got a pretty strict mission statement in life. Um, and he is energetic and he is fantastic and he is like the poster board of prophets or the poster child of prophets, right? Um, and uh, he has the ability to pull off what I want to call a showstopper. He pulls off sh several showstoppers in his ministry. Um, anybody watch the Great British Baking Show? That's what, yeah, that's why I'm using that name. So you get like three bakes. And the last one is the showstopper. It looks fantastic. It probably tastes fantastic. My TV does not yet do taste. Um, and so that is what Elijah does. He, uh, his, the stunts he pulls off with the help of God are showstoppers. So here's what, and they're all to demonstrate that Yahweh is the one true God. So here's what happens. Ahab the king, he's a king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember in the past couple of weeks we've talked about the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom all came from the 12 tribes. 
Um, he's the king of the northern king, uh, kingdom, and he's good. He's like an uh, interesting king. He's, he's wise, all of that. He has a wife named Jezebel, and Jezebel was not from the kingdoms, and so she worshipped a different god. She worshipped the god Baal, fertility god, actually, uh, which is interesting to think about women worshipping a fertility god. Another story. Um, so she worships uh, Baal. And in order to make her feel at home, because he loves her, maybe, um, he builds a temple, um, and a, like a sort of a, a, a temple to, to Baal. To, you know, so she's like, oh, she's got her little place to go to. But soon this one temple turns into Jezebel bringing in 450 prophets that are all um, Baal worshipers. And it soon becomes this like, full campaign to make Baal be the official deity of Israel, right? So gone is Yahweh, yay, Baal. Well, um, the people in Israel were divided. Some were in like camp, yay, let's make Baal the deity. Others were like, no, Yahweh is the one true God. Guess who was heading that up? Elijah, yeah. So there's this whole cool thing that happens in 1 Kings before. If you want to read it, there's Bibles you can take home. I would love for you to do that, and you can read this story, but I'm going to kind of give you the cliff notes. So here's what happens. Elijah says, okay, if, if you think Baal is so great, then what we're going to do is we're going to build two different altars. You build your altar, I'll build mine. Here's two bulls. We're going to cut them in half. We'll offer them as sacrifice. And what we're going to do is... Uh, you call to Baal, I'm going to call to Yahweh, and the one true God will light the altar on fire. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, the Baal worshipers do this. They slice up the bull, they get the wood, and they're yelling, Baal, 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 and nothing happens. And so eventually they get so upset, they start cutting themselves with them, their swords, as was the culture at that time. Uh, and so eventually Elijah's like, okay, and he builds an altar and he puts the bowl all sliced up on it. And then I think this was him just trying to be a show off, make it a showstopper. He says, hey guys, take those buckets and fill them with water and dump them on the altar. Cause you know, water, fire, don't mix. And he's like, yeah, okay, now do it again. And he, he, they, so much water is on the altar that there's like a moat going around. Okay, it's drenched. And then he calls on Yahweh, and by spontaneous combustion, the altar lights up on fire, and everybody's like, Yahweh! You know? Uh, and so then, this is the part I don't get. Um, maybe it talks a little bit about like how we shouldn't be so rooted in our way um, and have kindness and compassion like Jesus. Um, so then they, root, they take all the Baal prophets down to the other end of town and stab them with swords and kill them. That's the end of the story. Um, <laughs> I told you I don't get that part. Um, so Jezebel finds out who was like in pro-bowel camp and she says, I'm gonna kill you, Elijah. I'm gonna have you sliced by the sword just like you did the prophets. And so Elijah does what probably anybody would do. He runs for his life. He runs to the southern kingdom of Judah and to a place called Beersheba, or right on the outskirts. And he ends up um, 
in, under a broom shrub. I don't even know what that is, but a tree of some sort. I forgot to look that up in my exegesis this week. And he starts crying out and saying how he's a failure and how his life would be better, he's no better than his ancestors and how he wishes he were dead. And this may seem odd because he just came from this really awesome showstopper. He was probably higher than, you know, high and now he's in one of the lowest periods of his life wishing he were dead. So I would say that Elijah is depressed. And it sounds weird to say that because oftentimes we, we end up thinking that people in the Bible, that the reason they probably made it into the Bible is because they had everything going for them. You know, they never got depressed. They didn't have any pimples. Um, life was good for them. But when we do that, we make the folks in the Bible these flat characters. And when we read the scripture carefully and see these things and be able to name, wow, he was depressed. Not only was he depressed, but he had suicidal ideation, right? He thought about death, he wanted to die. It allows us to understand that these were real people struggling just like you and I struggle in life, right? So Elijah was depressed. Elijah like 20% of the American population had struggles with his mental health. You look around this room, 20%. Actually, it's more, and I'll talk about why I think in this room there's more than 20% of folks that struggle with mental health. That's the average. Um, That means that that, that every single one of you is touched by mental health struggles, either you yourself or someone that you love. It's just like I would stake my ministry on it, every single person. You may not know it because we have stigma related to it and the person you love might not want to share it with you, but I guarantee that you know someone in this room, or not in this room, someone in your life with mental health struggles. Um, and so that's why we're doing this sermon series. We, we talk about wanting to be a relevant church This is a relevant topic. This is real life. Uh, We're talking about it here on Sunday and we're also um, on September 16th, if anybody is interested, we're gonna be marching um, with NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, September 16th at three o'clock. We've had a team for the last, anybody help me, two or three years? How many? Three years. Um, And it's, it's liberating to reduce stigma, and especially as a church, that um, especially as a church, there can be a lot of stigma attached to mental illness, and so um, it's liberating. So if you want to participate, that's another great thing to check off on the tear-off. So today we are starting this sermon series. We totally stole it from the movie, A Beautiful Mind, right? Because I think sometimes that we do, when there's mental health struggles in us or others, we, we don't like the mind but it is a beautiful mind. I wanna run through some statistics with you. Um, I'm sorry I don't have these on the screen. I'll do better next time. 
So one in five adults, we talked about experience mental illness. This is the breakdown. This is not gonna add up to 20% because a lot of folks might have uh, dual diagnoses, right? They might have um, anxiety and depression, right? So 18.1% of Americans have anxiety disorders, 18.1%. 6.9% have major depression. 2.6% are diagnosed with bipolar disorder and 1.1% with schizophrenia. So those are kind of some basic statistics. That means like at, uh, if we're a cross-section of the US, then 20% of us have mental illness in this room. Now, the reason I think there's more of us, we're an LGBT inclusive church, yes. We're also a church of young adults, yes. I, don't, I forgot to write down the statistic for young adults, but especially those in college, the statistics skyrocket around anxiety and depression. Um, so here's a couple more. Out LGBT youth between the ages of 10 and 24. So that's a big category of youth, but we'll go with it. Are more depressed than the general population, and they are four times more likely to attempt suicide. Four times more likely. Number one cause of death. Um, those LGBTQ youth that are questioning are three times more likely to attempt suicide. I also want to just name that we're going to actually be talking, we're talking about depression this week. Next week we're going to be talking about suicide, and I want to name that in case that's a trigger for you. Um, uh, it's an invitation to stay home from church. Uh, trans folks, folks who identify as transgender, um, experience suicidal ideation at about between 38 and 65 percent. 38 to 65 percent of those that identify as trans have suicidal ideation. Isn't that staggering? Um, couple more statistics. Of those who have been diagnosed with a mental illness, 60 percent of the folks that di were diagnosed in the last year did not receive services. So, uh, my guess is, and I don't know the answer to this, social workers and therapists help me out, but my guess is stigma is a large part of that and finances. Anything else? Incompetent care. Incompetent care. Oh, yeah, there's always that. <laughs> um, one more statistic. African American and Hispanic Americans use mental health services at about half the rate that white Americans do and Asian Americans at about a third of the rate. Uh, and I think that those are also um, play into stigma and financial access and competent care. So we do great justice work um, that might talk about the like financial stuff, right? I wanna talk about stigma today. And I think it's especially important to address in a church because <sighs> Y'all, um, many of you, I've talked to you. <laughs> Y'all, the pastor of title, the title of pastor gives me access, grants me access in ways that um, other folks don't get. And you share things with me and I hold those in confidence and I hold those in prayer. Uh, 
and a lot of what you've shared with me is there's a great deal of stigma attached to your mental illness because you feel like it's a spiritual issue and that um, churches in the past have told you that if you had a better connection with God, your depression would go away. If you had a better prayer life, you wouldn't be bipolar. If you, um, if you, I don't know, read scripture more regularly, you wouldn't have anxiety. And I just wanna name that that is false. Now, mental health and spiritual health do go together, just like mental health and spiritual health and financial health and emotional health and physical health. They all go together, right? Everything affects one another. But your quality of faith, the, your, um, to use faith as an opposite of, of um, doubt, your level of doubt and faith do not affect your mental health. Okay? Um, and don't let anybody tell you difference. And I'm going to give you a scripture to show it. Okay? Um, so we hope over the next three weeks to really destigmatize mental health and that we can be liberated to talk about it. All right? So let's talk about this scripture passage. What we see today in this scripture passage is a response from God that is far better than um, at least what my typical response is as a human being. I know uh, my first reaction, and maybe I'm the only one, but I don't think so, sometimes when I hear folks like someone I love that's depressed and can't get out of bed or feels anxious, is to be like, oh, come on, Elijah, what you're saying isn't true. Look how awesome you were. God chose you to be a prophet. You shouldn't think that. It's not about how worthy you are of your ancestral relationships or not. Just think positive thoughts. You'll be fine. Anybody else ever have that tendency? Maybe you're good enough to not say it out loud. Yes? Okay. But we also know that the truth is when someone is caught in depression, the thoughts that they have are absolutely real. Now, they may not be true, but the way that they are experiencing them is absolutely real. So Elijah's saying, what did he say? I forget in the scripture exactly. I got too excited and I didn't write it down. He says, I know he says, I, I'm no better than my ancestors. Um, take away my life, it's, it's enough. What he is feeling, that is like, neurologically his synapses are firing and that is what he is feeling. But it doesn't have to mean that it's true, right? So the way that God responds and the way that we get to respond as a church is, um, it's actually a better showstopper, I think, than a spontaneously igniting altar. What God does is, is instead of that like uh, divine cheerleader or divine rebuke that we might expect, God uses an angel to gently challenge Elijah's perspective. And this angel gives practical provision that allows him to go forward even in the midst of his depression. So see, the angel comes first and um, gives him bread cooked on coals and water out of a jar. And I'm no Hebrew person, but I learned from Hebrew scholars 
that this uh, word for coal that is used in the scripture passage today is only used one other time in scripture, and it's used in that first in that um, Isaiah call story where Isaiah um, is being called by God to be a prophet, and he's like, "Oh, I can't be a prophet. I'm, uh, I'm not worthy. I'm not good." And God meets him with a coal and touches his lips and says, "You are worthy." So that that image of coal is there, right? This reminder that God thinks you are enough, that you are blessed, that God has given you everything you need. And then this word for jar uh, is in scripture two other times, I'm gonna talk about one time, which is when this widow had a jar, and the jar uh, was full of oil, and no matter how much they used it, the oil never ran out. Uh, And Elijah knew this widow, and even in the midst of drought, they always had enough to eat, and they always had enough oil. So in this scripture, we also see you're worthy and you're enough, and I will always provide enough for you. I have done it in the past and I will do it in the future. Do you see that? So just in this meal, this food, Elijah gets that message. But then what happens is, uh, what happens when someone's depressed? They eat and they drink and they go back to sleep. See, he's depressed. And uh, for me, this is really important to notice that um, God sends an angel and provides care and the person continues to be depressed. Elijah continues in his depression. And the reason that this is important is because of that stigma that people think if you, if you get enough care, if you, if you um, believe strongly enough in God, then your depression will go away. But no, actually, It doesn't, it still continues. That's okay, right? It continues on. So if anybody ever says to you, if you just opened yourself up to God's presence, then your depression would be gone, you just say, oh no, 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 no. First Kings chapter 19, read it. So then a second time, the angel touches Elijah and wakens him. Eat something, the angel says. You've got a difficult road ahead of you. Again, acknowledging that just because you have God's presence in your life, just because you're a prophet for God, doesn't mean your life is gonna be easy. Doesn't mean that you won't have mental health struggles. And then what happens, it's so cool. Well, okay, so one more thing, sorry. And then being met again with this like simple thing of bread and water. And what that tells me is that in our struggles, either as people who are caring for others or as folks struggling with mental health, that in the midst of that, we get simple sustenance. Bread, uh, you know, even Jesus says, I am the bread of life, right? Bread is simple. It's not, nutrient, it's not the nutrient-rich superfood of kale, right? It's not the super amazing uh, fancy food of caviar. It's just bread. And yet it is enough to sustain Elijah for 40 days. So that's, it, it's kind of a sucky good news because I'd rather the kale and the caviar sometimes, but bread. 
So then what happens, there's this earthquake and fire and stuff. That's a whole other sermon. It's just in there because I wanted to get to the end. This is a super important part. Elijah is commissioned to go and anoint a leader, uh, another king, to go and anoint another prophet. And that's a reminder to me and to all y'all that even folks with mental health struggles are invited into leadership. Now, maybe like when he's like when he's under the broom tree feeling, um, experiencing suicidal ideation, that might not have been the time to call him into leadership. Sometimes self-care is important, right? But, but our mental health struggles do not bar us from leadership in the church or anywhere else. So what does this mean for us? Um, if you have a mental health struggle... I hope that today you've heard a word that reminds you that you're normal. You're a normal human being created in the image of God. If you love someone with a mental health struggle, then I hope this is a reminder that you get to be God's angel. The angel that gently meets and cares for and provides enough. How does that look in our community? Well, uh, the care team. Uh, so sometimes I think that we get nervous, like when we sign up for a ministry or we want to do a ministry that like we're going to get an email every day or a text message for something. The care team, actually, y'all, our community is kind of pretty healthy. Um, most of our care team stuff has been around like when babies are born, we get to take a meal and then you get to hold the baby. So that's kind of cool. Um, but wouldn't it be nice to be an angel? Just every once in a while. Wouldn't it be nice to be part of the beloved community, the body of Christ that cares for someone in the midst of their struggle? You don't have to check the box this week, but will you think about that over the week? Um, and it might be, maybe you don't make good bread. That's okay, there's Grubhub, right? Like. <laughs> doesn't have to be, yeah, you're cooking. So that's all I got today, guys. It's kind of a weird sermon, I know. Or at least not my typical. So go forward and know your belovedness and know that you are okay and chosen by God even with mental health struggles. Go forward and know that you are beloved and called by God to be angels to those with mental health struggles. Go forth in peace.